Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and Creative Control. I have for many years, I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Beach's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends, uh, but the truth is he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with Uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, as though he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Robbie Robertson is a legendary and hugely influential guitarist, songwriter, and film composer who once called Toronto home. A founding member and lead songwriter in the pioneering rock and roll quintet, The Band, which also consisted of Garth Hudson and the late Levon Helm, Richard Manuel, and Rick Danko, Robertson has also released a number of solo albums, including 2019's Cinematic. He's also been a key collaborator for the American filmmaker Martin Scorsese. The pair has been working together for decades, with Scorsese calling upon Robertson to score everything from 1980's Raging Bull to 2019's The Irishman. Robbie and I had a chance to talk recently, and we touched upon his latest record, his working relationship with Martin Scorsese, the 50th anniversary reissue of the band's classic, self-titled second album, which is out November 15th, the new documentary film Once Were Brothers, about Robbie and the band, how he thinks history and fans have perceived his role in the band, and much more. A part of the E1 Podcast Network, with the support of listeners like you, who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, 
plus in-kind support from CFRU 93.3 FM, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 507th episode of Creative Control, featuring the multi-talented Robbie Robertson with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Robbie. How's it going? Uh, it's going very good. It's an honor to get to speak with you. I want to uh, begin by well, first of all, I want to ask you where in the world where, where in the world are you today, Robbie? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm in Los Angeles. Nice. How's that going there? Everything's oh, actually, geez, are you okay there? I know it's not safe as we're speaking. Where we are doesn't seem to be too much of a problem, but there are areas where. Uh, it it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. These fires. Yeah. Well, I hope you stay safe, obviously, and uh, I'm glad we were able to speak. Thank uh, you. I, I want to begin by asking you about what inspired your approach to the the songs on Cinematic. I've been enjoying this record. Uh, can you speak to that? Well, it's a combination of things, and um, it might have came out of when I was writing Testimony that that was a place that I had to go to write that book, um, an, an inner place that took me so deep into a dimension that when I finished writing the book, I was still hearing the echoes of that. So some of the songs, you know, just were, you know, were pieces of stories and things that just stayed with me. And those, some of those echoes, some of those repeats did turn into songs like Dead End Kid and Once We're Brothers and The Shadow and, you know, on and on in different kinds of ways. So it, w- it was that starting with Testimony and then it went into the documentary that they decided to make, you know, based on my book. And then working on The Irishman, there was part of that that I couldn't help. <laughs> but that sneak into what I was doing on this album, too. Mm-hmm. So this this big circle that I ended up being in the middle of I decided to let all these inspirations blend into this record, and I'm glad I did. Well, you're talking about a lot of reflective work there. You know, your memoir, Testimony, this documentary, Once for Brothers, The Irishman. I mean, obviously, you have a rich history of working with Martin Scorsese as well. That's a lot of cyclical stuff, I would think. How did you feel at the end of this? At the end of making the record? I, I would say at the end of all of the things you just described, that's a lot of, like I say, that's a lot of reflecting upon one's own life and work. I mean, did you come away from this feeling like you knew more about yourself, or did you feel, did you feel, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to hang out with that guy anymore. I learned too much about him. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> did I, you feel any sort of sensation that way? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a combination of things. You know, part of it, you feel like 
certain things it was gratifying to reveal and share, even the artwork and, and cinematic. It was something that I had never revealed before. And that felt good. And writing some of these songs, it was refreshing to me to let go of that. Mm. And so you may be touching on something here that was actually uh, a new enlightenment, that it was involving so many things. And in this record and in all of these projects, and even including the 50th anniversary of the band album, mm-hmm. which you, we've just put together the the collection of that, all of these elements, you know, all coming together is an incredible celebration of work and of life. You mentioned sharing artwork that you hadn't shared before. I mean, that that's telling in itself, I think. I think maybe all of this reflection has made you maybe even more generous than you expected to be in terms of, you know, expressing yourself. Is that fair to say? I mean, it seems like you, you're opening all of the, the vaults, the floodgates of expression of Robbie Robertson and letting it all out into the world, it seems. Yeah, I'm just tired of keeping those secrets. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's it's a good feeling. And, you know, you you do think that you know you know some of the things that you work on and some of the things that you want to share and some of the things you don't want to share you know it is uh, a precious place of thinking you know this is private and this is overly personal and this is something that I'd love to tell you the story about what happened. Right. So it is, you know, just a culmination of all those things. Yeah. The the, the album is called Cinematic. Uh, it has been described as sort of each song is like a mini movie. And this also made me think of your relationship with Martin Scorsese. And, and you mentioned, I believe you mentioned The Irishman, uh, his new film, which you worked on with him. Can you characterize your working relationship with him at this point? I'm sure it's a case-by-case basis. Some films are different than others, but have you landed on a routine together? Is it a situation where he says, here's the footage, I trust you to do what you, you know, what you do, or is it really a back and forth between you and him? You know, from the very beginning, after The Last Walls, the first film that he asked me to work on was Raging Bull. Mm -hmm. And we were doing that just kind of in friendship, like, oh, I, I'll help you out with this. Oh, you need some of that? Oh, okay, I'll, you know, I'll jump in there. And, oh, here's a couple of ideas for some music uh, for the movie. It was, you know, we were just, you know, seeing. We were just feeling our way along yeah. in a way. Yeah. And it hit a nerve. It did something for both of us that really did open a door and uh and I'd never had an experience like that before there was something new and fresh and different about working on that movie and even when you're working on it you're just you're just inside it and you don't know I wasn't really thinking about I don't know how if people are going to like this movie. Mm. It's not that likable. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be true and honest and powerful. 
And the way the music worked in it, the way the movie worked, and in time for it to become, you know, one of the best movies ever, and that experience affecting me in that kind of way as just an extraordinary revelation in what I'd been doing up to that point. And so then when Marty was making his next movie, he said, okay, uh, for the music on this, uh, maybe we should blah, blah, blah. And so we just stirred it up again. (laughs) And each time, each time what you said before, it really is a case-by-case thing. Yeah. None of these experiences have been the way the last one was, and that's part of what's really exciting about this relationship. And uh, and on The Irishman, I did something in this movie that I'd never done in any of these movies before, so I'm I'm so appreciative to be able to you know, work with this dear friend of mine and one of the greatest filmmakers ever, yeah. um, that it's an ongoing thing. So it's it's very dear to me. Well, what was the thing you did on The Irishman that you'd never done before? I'd never... It, we had to find a music, a sound, a flavor, a mood, a rhythm, a, a thing that could play over all of these different decades Mm. that this story is told in. And it did not sound like, oh, that's right out of the 70s. Oh, that sounds like it's got a little of the 90s in it. It, it, you know, it lives in its own space. And when this theme reoccurs in the film, it works. Yeah. It works. And this is not traditional movie music you come in and okay now this is happening you got to have a big build here oh and that's happening you know it's got to be really sad and blah, blah. there's none of that mm-hmm. that's not the way this is played and, the, and so the music that we were choosing for the film and the music that I was writing for the film it was really like pulling a rabbit out of a hat so that's exciting because a lot of times you don't know what you're looking for yeah. until you yeah. find it. Yeah. Well, this brings me to cinematic again because I, I was looking through your list of collaborators and it's an interesting and uh, you know extensive one. Among them, Afi Irvinen, who is someone I've got to know over the years. He goes by Bahamas and uh, a couple other names that I recognized. Uh, I was thinking about you and your and, and your your solo work. You used to write songs for other people in the band to sing. And I was curious if you could take us back to the when you when the band dissolved and you realized that you yourself were going to have to step inside of your own songs as a singer. Do you remember that that sensation like were you freaked out by this? Were you like, "No, I I know my voice. This is an opportunity here." Can you remember? Do you recall what your what your feelings were when you realized you were going to sing your own songs? Yeah, there's a, there was a different process in the storytelling. And when I was writing songs for the guys in the band to sing, I really looked at them as characters, mm-hmm. characters in a movie, characters in a stage production. I didn't know, 
you know, uh, where this belonged outside of our own workshop, our own world of making music. So I did think of of them as store as being able to sing this story and whose sound, whose voice could be the most honest in doing that. And then when I didn't have that vehicle anymore, then, you know, you, you tend to be more personal about it and it comes naturally. Yeah. And, and that was exactly what the process would be. Okay. Now, you've written a new song on Cinematic called Once We're Brothers. It is also the title of the aforementioned documentary about the band. What do you want to say about this song, first of all, Once We're Brothers? It just was... In the mystery of songwriting, when you sit down to write a song, I don't know... You know, it's very rare that I've ever sat down and thought... Here's what I'm going to write a song about. Mm-hmm. I, I, I discover it in the process, in a feel, in a, where my hands go on the guitar or on a keyboard, a piano. And this song just seeped out. It just, it rose to the surface mm-hmm. in, a, in a way. And part of that, I'm sure, was inspired because... They were making this documentary based on my book. And and because in that documentary, there is a strong part of it that revolves around the brotherhood of the band. Yeah. And so when, when this documentary was going on and I'm sitting down to write a song, you just, you know, it's what comes up a lot of the times. And it just came up and it it seemed to fit in to my daily process at that time, which I'm grateful that things ha- can happen after all of these years in, in such a natural way. Yeah. But writing this song really, really did connect to the film that they were making and they ended up calling it Once We're Brothers. And the song in the documentary plays a pivotal place in that too. So the way these... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Things fit together. It's very gratifying when that happens. So, so prior to writing this song, did you feel a sense of closure about the band, so to speak? Like, did, had you kind of reconciled yourself with 
what became of the band and what its legacy has been? Well, I, it 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 was just what happened at a certain time. I didn't I didn't need closure. I didn't you know. It was you know we did something for a period of time and then we didn't do it anymore. <laughs> so it it is just what happened you know in in time and you accept that because you don't really have any choice in it. But I really really hold dear um, the experience with those guys. Uh, they were just extraordinary talents and wonderful human beings and i'm i'm very very fortunate to have had that experience well one of the reasons i asked this robbie is because as you know when a band breaks up i think fans tend to draw lines they pick sides and you know over the course of time heroes villains emerge sometimes they switch positions for fans as well i'm curious with your memoir and this documentary which i know you participated in did you feel any compulsion to sort of set the record straight about the band or tell your... I mean, obviously you're telling your side of the story, but do you feel like you wanted to convey something in particular that informed uh, the general narrative about the band? I don't know other... You know, I, I don't know how to tell the story without telling my side of the story. And right. I did that in writing testimony, in writing this book. And... I just I and you know I only have uh I only have wonderful memories of the experience that we had together. After we weren't together, I had no control over that and whatever happened and it was so tragic, you know, that I lost three of my brothers over the years and mm -hmm. and you know that's that's heartbreaking and uh and 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 so that's really what I'm left with. Yeah. Well, we are here to also celebrate the 50th anniversary of uh, the the band's sophomore album, and you've been involved in the production of this reissue of it. I'm curious, what has you know revisiting this album and and re-releasing it, putting it all back together? Has any have you learned anything about the album in this process? Has anything sort of stuck out to you? Is like, huh, this surprises me. Just remembering how unusual this process was in making this record. At that time, something led me to, you know, and it started in the basement of Big Pink, but something led me to think that with these five guys, if we can create our own world, if we can separate ourselves from the rest of the world and go that deep into our music by not doing it in a studio, by doing it in our own atmosphere, yeah. our own clubhouse, our own workshop, we can do something that I had a gut feeling that this was the way that we could make the best magic together. And that's what we did. And it was so unusual at the time. Yeah. You know, when I told the record company, no, we're going to make this record in Sammy Davis Jr.'s pool house, <laughs> um, not in a studio. They they really did think I was insane, <laughs> and it took some doing to convince them. Now, that's as common as any kind of recording 
there is. So it was it was a revolutionary thing in music making, and it contributed to a sound in on this record. It contributed to the the songs I was writing that we were really in our own world, and it had nothing to do with what was going on in the outside world in music whatsoever. Yeah. And when you're doing it, you don't know if cutting yourself off from the world like that is a healthy thing or 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 you're just separating too much and you need to be in touch with what's going on. Well, it played in our favor, and I'm so glad that we did it that way. Yeah, We don't have a lot of time left here, Robbie, so I do want to get to one or two more questions real quickly. Uh, I do want to say I once made a pilgrimage to Big Pink. I'm not some crazed fan, but my the band I was road managing were like, hey, we're in West Saugerties, let's go find Big Pink, and we found it. And I have to say, it's uh, a hi- just to see the building, quite a highlight for me personally. Well, yeah, it's it's its own little landmark in a way, this ugly pink house <laughs> out in West Saugerties. Who would have thought, you know? For, for us, it was a sanctuary, and it really did allow us to follow an idea that I had. I, I, you know, I just thought, you know, because we had been on the road so much, so long, that I thought we got to get out of the way and I was thinking of this personally, so I can I can write, I can go to a place um, that I felt was in there, but I just I wasn't able to do it while we were traveling around and out in the world. I really longed for finding this sanctuary, and Big Pink started that for me, and it's. It's still an ongoing dream of mine, being able to do things and where you allow yourself to go into this very, very private place. Yeah. Well, I I do have one last question since we're in the vicinity of upstate New York. One of the great gems of this new new, uh, reissue of the band's album is uh, the Woodstock set, which has long been unreleased. Can you briefly talk about why it hasn't uh, <laughs> received an official release until now? And then also uh, any any little surprises that you think fans should look out for in listening to this particular set? Well, th- this all happened in 1969, the making of the band album. Oh, and there's a documentary included in this package, too, called The Making of the Band. And then the idea, because in 1969, after I think we had played one or two other gigs as the band, we were then going to play Woodstock, which turned out to be in front of 500,000 people. Now, our musicality, what we were doing at that time, was a big departure from what we had done before with Ronnie Hawkins as the Hawks, with Bob Dylan, all of it. It was a different, different flavor. And going out and playing in front of 500,000 people with this sound, it was otherworldly. And coming back and listening to this tape now... I really had a sense of how different it was 
in that setting. And I've said before, it was almost like us coming out and singing hymns when this when these people they just wanted to rock their brains out they wanted to party they wanted to really really get crazy out there and this music took them into a different zone and it wasn't about getting crazy and everybody went with it and this spell this feeling that just went out over this audience just took me when I listened to it it just took me right back to that place and and I'm so glad now that we're going to be able to share uh, this you know this very particular piece of music with the world well I appreciate this Robbie and I appreciate your sentiments there I, I, I agree it's a magical thing and I want to ask you if you will uh, pick a song for us to play from this reissue uh, so people can get a sense of what we've been talking about. And I also want to say, on a personal note, uh, your work has meant uh, a lot to me. Uh, my eight-year-old son is named Levon, um, and <laughs> so just so you know, the band is, is significant to me. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. You know, Levon was you. No re- is not a real name. His, <laughs> Levon's <laughs> name was Levon. And yeah. um, it was felt different and pronounced different, but he didn't like the sound of it, so he changed it to leave on. And I, th- I thought he did a good thing. I, you know, I, I yeah, love hilariously, this. my they, people often mispronounce my son's name as Levon, and he quickly corrects them, Levon. It's Levon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, for a song to play, uh, Vish, just because you're up there in the North Country. I think you should play Dead End Kid, because that's about me growing up in Toronto. Okay, that sounds... Oh, okay, so from okay from your own record. Okay, that sounds great. Let's do that. Uh, this is Dead End Kid by Robbie Robertson. Robbie, again, a tremendous pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much for this, and best of luck with everything going forward. Oh, thank you very much. From a hotel room I can't pay the bill And check out time is new Someone double-crossed me Left me out to dry Now all I can do is pray And hope an angel happens by They said you'll never be nothing You're just a dead-end kid Probably end up in prison Or maybe down on the skids No, you'll never be nothing You're just a dead-end kid That's what they told me And that's what they said I'm gonna play my song Out across this lake From Starbra Blood over to New York State I want to show the world Something they ain't never seen I want to take you somewhere You ain't never been They said you'll never be nothing 
You're just a dead end kid We know who you are We know what you did No, you'll never be nothing You're just a dead end kid That's what they told me That's what they said Some call it homeless Some call it stranded Some say it's like being lost Others call it abandoned Sleeping in the subways Hiding in the underground My mama was looking for me But I was nowhere to be found From the whole so you'll never be nothing You're just a dead end kid You probably end up in prison Or maybe down on the skids No, you'll never be nothing You're just a dead end kid That's what they told me That's what they said That was really a thrill. Robbie Robertson was on the 507th episode of this podcast, which is called Creative Control. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you for being on Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like YouTube and Spotify and Audioboom as well. If you're looking for a particular episode and for some reason, you know, it's not on any of those platforms that I just mentioned, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my semi-regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at vishcreative, or follow me directly at vishkana. Also, listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at cfru.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. Once again, I do have a new $6 tier. Uh, $6 and above gets you access to exclusive content that only Patreon supporters at that tier level get to hear. So please consider pledging at least $6 or more and you will get some exclusive Creative Control content at patreon.com slash creativecontrol. Thanks again to Pete Stracadero, The Bookshelf, CFRU, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support for this show. Also, my uh, dear friend Jim Guthrie, he lets me use some music of his on this show, and you can learn more about Jim 
at jimguthrie.org. And uh, last but not least, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Robbie Robertson and uh, hopefully subscribing to the podcast and checking out other episodes and telling your friends to do the same. That's how these things tend to work. You listen, you like it, you talk to your friends, they say, oh, I didn't know about this thing. Thank you very much for telling me about it. My life is better. Thank you very much. You're a good friend. And I'll, I'll say the same thing to you. So please, spread the word about Creative Control, the podcast, and uh, or don't, just listen. That's fine, too. Thank you very much. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now.